Hello you all welcome back to another episode of Run Yogi Diaries this is your host Santosh Shiva good to be back good to talk to you again talk to you all again um how you all doing times of massive change isn't it uh the uh, schools are reopening uh online of course most schools are online i think and um my wife is a teacher and i can see her working very hard over the last week to just get the whole digital platform up and running she and her colleagues are uh, working very hard i know the uh, parents are too uh, really aligning to this new reality uh, of course the students uh, are going to be involved uh, once it starts so i really want to take uh, a moment and say hats off to the uh, teaching teacher community here uh, in Houston, in the houston area thank them for the effort they are putting in uh, it's not easy so really thank you and uh, wishing everyone a successful new school year well getting back into the podcast um you know the people we uh, feature in this podcast are people who are masters of dealing with difficult circumstances and uh, thriving on top of it and um hopefully their their stories uplift us they inspire us to do more in our own lives uh, and not be stopped by circumstances today's guest is a woman of that caliber who has dealt with some challenging situations but she is thriving let's welcome uh, beth and telford to the show and hear her story Hi Bethan welcome to the Ranyogi Diaries. Yeah, oh, it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning. It's great. Yeah. And uh how is it in DC? Is it cooler? I know it's I'm in Houston, it's hot and humid here. Well, it's hot here. We've had a record 30 some odd days of hot, heated weather and with that come the afternoon storm. So we've had a great deal of rain but working out this morning um taking a run and doing some weightlifting it was pretty um pretty hot you know humid not like Houston but it it was there yeah it's sauna here here it's all free sauna you don't need to go to sauna in summer <laughs> it's like bikram hot yoga right yeah 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 my favorite yeah so you know i started uh, my uh, uh my life in america i started in virginia Uh I used to live in Reston Virginia for some time and um love that area it's a it's such a beautiful part of the country Oh so, yeah they 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 claim that is where you know Google and the dot com industry really took off it's a beautiful it has grown the last 3 years it's just stunning Yeah 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 Okay so um so Bethan I'll you know maybe we'll start with a quick introduction uh you have a very impressive bio and um uh, but let's get you uh get into use yourself and then we'll go from there. Sure. So I am originally from Pennsylvania. I was born in the capital of Pennsylvania which is Harrisburg and I lived my life on the other side. There's a river that divides Harrisburg from um the west shore and the east shore. East shore being Harrisburg, west shore being Camp Hill um and the country. And I'm from that area, Camp Hill. Um I grew up there, went to school there, stayed in Pennsylvania. 
until uh, soon after 9-11 when I came down to Washington, D.C., and now reside in this area. For Since 9-11, I've been down in the D.C. area working as a federal government. But I am uh, the baby and the favorite of, uh, I have two older sisters, so my dad uh, had four women in close into his life and uh, a tiny home in the country with one bathroom. And my dad would go to the uh, gas station to shave and brush his teeth because he had three, three daughters and one wife to get through um, the bathroom and uh, just a great family. Uh, my oldest sister uh, is married with two children and two, I have two great uh, grand uh, nieces. And then uh, my nephew who gets married at the end of this month, I'm very excited about that to a lovely lady. Um, and then my middle sister is married to a great gentleman. They live, everyone is in Pennsylvania and she has two daughters and her baby daughter is kind of my mini me. Uh, I just adore her and she is to start college in two weeks and we were hoping that she would go there to get the experience, but just found out she uh, is not going to be going there and uh, be doing off campus. So her senior year and now her college uh, freshman year have been totally disrailed by um, this COVID. Uh, so, but she's a great kid. All of them are great, but uh, she happens to be my favorite probably because she's the baby too. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. It's a, it's a new, it's a new realm now. Right. And um, you know, talking, you're talking about your dad, uh, I'm like that. I have three three women in in at home, uh, two daughters, and so I can completely relate to what he must have been dealing with. Uh, yeah. But you know, I've always found that uh, you know uh, men who are surrounded by women are uh, are better off. Uh, oh yeah, they're stronger. They're stronger. Uh, my father is definitely he's my hero and my inspiration. Uh, and I tell everyone that he has been from day one. And my mom is the rock because she's the center of our family uh, who has gone through some tremendous uh, issues in her life uh, with alcoholism. And uh, my dad just staying through it all and uh, really uh, through the ups and downs that man has been through. Um, I just get my inspiration from that man. He's my hero. And uh, so when we, you were growing up, were you, a, were you an athlete in school or? So I was a tomboy. I was my dad's boy that he never had. And he put me through, I played softball. I played soccer. Uh, I was the goalie in soccer, which I really didn't like because if we lost, then it was all on me. Uh, I played competitive sports all my life. As far as running goes, I was never a distance runner. I, um, I excelled in field hockey. That's where I got my scholarship. But in field hockey, you only had to run the mile and be timed on that to qualify for the team. So I was running the mile in you know, sprints and so forth because I played defense and I also was the assister for goals. And uh, so I did not start running until I was down here in DC and saw the amount of people running on the Potomac and the, and the groups that you could run with. But during my childhood, I just was the one that would be out on the bike and be with the boys, you know, throwing rocks and stealing Cokes out of the Coke machine at the gas station. You know, I was the tomboy. All right. Miss well. <laughs> yes, I was. You know, uh, so nice to hear uh, somebody playing field hockey in America. I'm, I played field hockey when I was in my school. I grew up in India. Yes, my favorite sport. Yeah. 
Yeah. The only thing is you, you, you didn't wear kilts though. See, we, and until, cause I'm 51, we wore kilts. And I think like three years after I graduated, they changed the, the girls from, you know, wearing kilts into soccer shorts, but we wore kilts and our big thing was um, wearing boxer shorts underneath the kilts. So I really didn't know what they were. So I was stealing my dad's boxer shorts, you know, putting a pin there and, you know, wearing his. But, um, yeah, I, I love the kilts. Um, I played here for a while when I moved to D.C. because there's an older women's group. And I'll tell you what, they are tough. Um, and I could fight in, in hockey because my dad at that time you had parents that were on the sidelines and they could scream and yell. And my dad was one of them. He would follow me down to the end of the field where I'd pass it. And he'd have a blow, blow horn. He'd have a cowbell and then his voice. Everyone loved my father, um, but he would get into it with the refs and sometimes eject it. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Great. And, uh, and then you started running, uh, long distance uh, in, in what, early 2000s in, in the D.C. area, right? Yeah, right after 9-11, I moved down here um, and I started working for the federal government. And I wasn't in, I wanted to do something, you know, to get my mind clear from the federal job. And I would just see all these people running. And one of my uh, co-workers said, you know, you should join this group. We're going to be running a marathon in the fall and I don't even remember if she told me what marathon and we're going to collect money and at that time AIDS was you know something everyone or breast cancer would you know do fundraising for so my very first training was with the AIDS marathon group here in DC and I believe I was the older one of the group and they would put you in pace times and there was just hundreds of people and we would congregate now where it's called the Navy Yard, where the Nationals play. And that's where we would start. But at that time, there was nothing there. It was uh, desolate. And we would start there, get in our time pace groups and run through the city. And it ended up that that was my first year training. And I successfully completed um, Marine Corps Marathon. Not fast, because I wasn't. I was in a slower pace. But I always ended up being in the front. I guess they were being proper, putting the old lady up front. And I would pace the group and we would have great conversations, go on the CNO canal and that's where it all started. Awesome. All right, and then, you know, you continued running and then uh, something popped. Yeah, so I fell in love with the Marine Corps Marathon. I love the race director, Rick Nealis. Uh, we have a great relationship and that started, of course, after, um, 2004 marathon. So I've done and completed a couple of the Marine Corps marathons. And in 2004, uh, the Marine Corps marathon is always the last weekend, last Sunday of October. So generally it's a fall marathon with great weather, you know, mild running weather. Well, this happened to be a year that I struck out with, uh, you know, the hottest Marine Corps marathon to date uh, that's on the records. And I'm on mile 19, and again, like I was saying about my hometown, there's an island, and you're familiar with it, it's called Haynes Point, that splits D.C. from Virginia. And mile 19 at that year was uh, on Haynes Point. So I'm coming around Haynes Point, and, you know, I just wasn't drinking a lot. I guess, you know, I thought I was dehydrated. Coming around the bend there, and it happened to be where they put – 
the the hands and the sculpture that used to be there. I forget the name of the sculpture. So I passed that, and I remember that, um, and it was a Viking sculpture, and it's now at National Harbor. And I looked up, I saw the street light and just a pop in my head, almost like when you're going up a mountain and you have to clear your ears or you're in a plane and you swallow deep to clear your ears. So I kept doing that. But my gait, which is your running stance, was going like I was drunk and I was just weaving in and out. And the people behind me are like, what is wrong with you? Uh, you know, I was bumping into people. So... I stopped at the next hydration center and got some, some water. And I thought, well, you know, I can complete this. So I finished it. I just wasn't feeling great. And I blamed it on hydration. So you can either overhydrate, which is deadly or underhydrate, which is, you know, deadly as well. People don't realize that you can actually drink way too much and you can die from that. And, and, and it's a proven fact. But I feel like I was underhydrated. So I finished the marathon. Um, and then three days later, I kept having these symptoms. I'm at work the next day. I'm in my federal job. And in these federal buildings, it's like museums. The furniture is in place and it's been there for years. And I'm in the executive offices and I'm running into furniture. I'm forgetting important dates for my boss. I uh, got on the metro system, and instead of coming out to Northern Virginia, I went to the other side of Maryland. So there was a lot of signs going on that something up here was, you know, in my head was not right. So my boss said to me, look, do you need to take some time off or you need to go see a doctor? So at that time, I was still being seen at my home state of Hershey, Pennsylvania Hospital, Hershey Hospital. So I called down there and he got me in with a doctor at GW, uh, you know, someone he referred. So I went to go see him and he kept in touch with my doctor in Pennsylvania and said, well, Beth, I think it's an ear, nose, throat, you know, issue. You just have, you know, here's something, take it, blah, blah, blah. Well, something wasn't right. And thank God for my doctor, who was my doctor since I was younger. He said, you know, Dr. Silver, this... I think there's more to it than ear, nose, throat. You know, Beth never really had symptoms like this. When I was in high, you know, high school, I always got migraines. I always told my mom something's up there because I'd come home from school and my head would just hurt so bad. I would just have to put compresses on it. So Dr. Whitus said to Silver, you know, let's get an MRI. So that following week I had an MRI here in, in DC and I could tell by the man that was giving me the MRI his facial expressions and the way he comforted me after the MRI that something was going on. And I just thought, you know, well, maybe it's, you know, sinus, blah, blah, blah. So the next day after the MRI, I get a call at my office. I'm in federal office and uh, it was the doctor. And the doctor said, Beth, I really need to see you today. Well, I couldn't go in. So after like a 10 minute conversation with him saying, look, I can't get in and HIPAA, he couldn't explain on the phone. I said, look, you're gonna have to tell me I just cannot get there. So he said, Beth, you have um, a left frontal lobe brain tumor. And I was like, what? what's a brain tumor? Okay, so now you're going back 15 years and I'm on the phone with a doctor who I hardly know. And I'm like Googling right away brain tumor. And then I'm like, death, everything, death, death death. And I was like, wait a minute. So he's still on the phone. 
And he's like, so you need to come in and we need to talk about what's going on and blah, blah, blah. So I hung up the phone with him and I'm thinking, who can I tell? I can't tell my mom and dad. It would devastate them. Plus, I was worried about my mom and her finding out and thinking, oh, something I did, you know, with the alcoholism, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sitting there in the stairwell of this federal building just crying and like, what what's happening to my life? I'm 35 years old. You know, this is just not possible. So I went back in there and I talked to my boss, who was a cabinet member at the time, and he called up his wife. His wife immediately uh, took charge of my health. And she took me to five different institutions all over the United States. And uh, we ended up talking to uh, someone. It was our last appointment was at John Hopkins in Baltimore. And she did all the questions. She had researched everything. Very intelligent woman. Um, great person. And um, ended up going to Hopkins. And Dr. Henry Brem was my surgeon twice. And on April 12th, 2005, I had my first brain surgery removal. So that's how yeah. it all happened. Yeah. And, uh, and here we are having this conversation 15 years. So obviously that's a conversation to be having because uh, you are obviously a vanquisher of cancer. So cancer is defeated. You're, you're obviously thriving. Um, you went on to do, uh, I was looking at your bio. You've, you've done six Boston marathons, 15 Marine Corps, four Ironmans, um, and a nine hour Grand Canyon trek. Hey, that's not something even normal people do. So obviously you're thriving. So let's talk about that. Um, so who, did you have a guru or did you have some kind of a coach? I, after my first brain surgery, I went home to Pennsylvania so my mom could care for me. And um, there was a 5K in my hometown. So everyone's like, let's do this. You know, I had a bandana on my head. I'm bald and, you know, everyone's cheering for me. We're at the start line and everyone's there. And my mom's like, now you're going to walk this with us. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, because I was afraid to run, uh, literally. And all of a sudden my dad departs us. And I'm like, where's daddy? And we got halfway through. And then all of a sudden at the halfway mark, I heard my dad yelling. And it took me back to the time when I was in college, you know, high school. And my dad yelled, Bethann, pick it up. Run, Beth, run. And to that day, that was the first steps I took in running after my first brain tumor recession. And it was my dad saying, Beth, it's going to be okay. You're going to get back into it. And um, that's how I got back into fighting it because I was very upset, very mean, you know, why me? You know, I'm going to die. Why me? And um, between that and Dr. Brem telling me, you know, about these kids that have cancer and never come out of the hospital and the way they do isn't, you know, alive. That's when I started, you know, I'm going to fight this thing and I'm going to advocate, especially for pediatric cancer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the message that people, uh, I would love our audience to take away is, you know, circumstances come in different forms, right? Um, obviously, you've had a very challenging circumstance. Uh, and, and the point is not about the circumstance. Like you said, you don't want people to say, feel bad for you. You know, it's, 
the point is your spirit your willingness not to be stopped by that you know people get stopped by hey today is a warm day so i'm not going to run right exactly as small as that you could, you could have circumstances as small as that that stops you from going out and doing what you need to do and not just running it could be any goal or commitment you have in life but i think the podcast really is about how do you use endurance as a means to uh you know accessing that type of mindset right and you are demonstrating that mindset you know circumstances can come in different forms and sizes but who you are is that 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 mindset of being unstoppable uh being an inspiration you know setting an example um you know being a hero you know or a heroine you know let me be yeah i mean i think you're exactly right and you know i'm not out there winning races you know sometimes i'll win my age group but definitely you know i've had these setbacks where i'm running or walking uh you know marathons because i just don't have the ability to push myself the way i can when i'm physically better but it's not going to stop me because you know with being healthy or you know keeping a track of just getting up off the couch helped me to be stronger to get out of these situations like major brain surgery or migraines or depression um because a lot of depression comes with brain cancer mm -hmm. so you have to you have to fight it sometimes it's hard some days i don't do what i want to do and that's okay it's okay to give your body a rest your body does need to rest but uh you know if you're in this slump like for weeks it's just not good and mm -hmm. that's where you surround yourself with good people uh you know i'm i'm blessed with a good family and and great friends so you know they push me <laughs> and like yeah. i told you i have these girls that pace me that are 20 years younger than me but i just love it because uh they keep me young at heart so young at heart and I, i'm sure you're uh, biologically pretty young i know if you heard about the uh, telomere telomere testing that's available yeah. now that can tell you what's your biological age versus chronological age so you know you could be probably those that 20 years old chronologically so yeah <laughs> i wish i wish could be so let's now a uh, good time to pivot into your adventures uh you've not been stopped you've uh, taken it to the next level you've said hey you know what i'm going to go live life uh fully and you're living that you're you're an example of that and uh, one of the um events you did was seven marathons in seven days flat across uh the con all continent so tell us about that that's a that's a great story well see i have like i said i have some great friends but i have a a lot of great friends that challenge me and mm -hmm. you know i uh everything was a a challenge for me and a goal and i i love to set goals because that gives me the ability to you know have these setbacks yet at the end of the day uh i finish the marathon it doesn't matter you know how fast or how slow i finish it mm -hmm. so these friends bring these crazy ideas uh to me to do and i kind of do challenge accepted blop you know um but they know that when i do these challenges i have a platform to talk about my advocacy and raise money and number one awareness for brain cancer especially again pediatric so 
when people find these great adventures, they send them to me and they copy people on and say, do you think Beth can do this? So I had this friend that saw this little blurb in the paper about this, the World Marathon Challenge. And I didn't know much about it, so I looked at it. And then when I started looking at the website, I was like, oh, my God. So they had only one year running it. And it is seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days. Wow. So I was thinking, oh, wow, I know I can do this. I just work with my trainer, slow my pace, and train for a year. So I won't do the first year, but I'll get in on the second year if I can. So I was like, challenge accepted, and then I needed to talk to the, uh, the campaign that I work with, which is called Accelerate Brain Cancer Cure, ABC2, and they're here in Washington, D.C. So I brought it to them, and I was sure that they would be like, uh, no, this, we're not going to do this. This isn't going to attract people. But when I had the meeting with you know, the, the team there, they were like, whoa, we can do this. This is great. One thing. Dr. Brem had to approve it. So I get in with my doctor and I get in there and I was telling him about this. You know, I want to do seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And that's how I approached it with him. So if you think about it, he probably thought, and to this day he does say this, seven marathons on seven continents, but not seven consecutive days. He didn't grasp that. And he, I don't think he grasped that till after I came back in, you know, two weeks after being there prior and then after. So I kind of caught him, but he approved it. He's like, oh, you can do it. You know, you're, you're, you're fit. You listen to your body. That was a big thing, not just with me, but anybody should listen to their body. You have healthy people out there running and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, something happens. You should always listen to your body. So, um, so that's how it all came about. And then I got the approval from my regular physician, uh, Dr. Wida and Dr. Silver. And uh, off I went uh, training for a year, getting pumped up. And I was the first person to do it ever with cancer. And then I was the second USA female. The first was Becca Pisa, and I was in contact with her uh, crazy, you know, before time. I went down to Florida to watch her during the first year's World Marathon Challenge. She's a great uh, person. Uh, on an offside, I'd like to get you in touch with her to talk. She's awesome. And uh, I did it. I did it. I had um, a great time, and we can talk more about that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, tell us about that. Was it like uh, uh, getting on a plane, uh, doing a 26.2 and getting on a plane and getting to another country and city? Uh, how was it? Tell us about so, that. You know, we've, we got down, I, I was able to take someone with me, my sponsor uh, paid for another person to be with me to do all my medical uh, stuff, because I do take a lot of medicine to, you know, keep me, you know, level. And also to do all of the media on site and get it back to the foundation, ABC Squared. So she worked closely with someone at ABC Squared. Um, and she had uh, a vested interest in the whole thing because her niece has uh, a brain tumor. So she's awesome. I love her. She was from New York. She lives in um, this area now. 
And what had happened is we went down to Chile a couple days earlier. That's where the whole group met from all around the world was Chile. From Chile, we got on a Russian cargo plane, which was awesome. It was like this huge um, plane. There's pictures of it. And it's able to land on the ice structure in Antarctica. And we had to wait to make sure the storms were clear for us to land and so forth. So we get on this Russian cargo plane. Uh, we land, uh, able to see us coming into the runway. It was awesome. And we acclimated in Antarctica for three days. I rode a mountain bike in Antarctica. I learned to play Jenga in Antarctica. I love that game. Uh, I made a $15 a minute call back home to my parents uh, from Antarctica. Uh, all these great things, you know, just beautiful, beautiful place. You know, lived in a tent uh, there for three days. So uh, after three days, they waited for the storms and we were in the mess hall there. And finally, I mean, the race director came in and said, we're a go. So I looked over to this lady. Uh, she was an English lady. And oh, excuse me, Ireland. She was from Ireland. She's blind. And she was doing it with a guide. And she totally broke down, totally broke down. So I look at the girl, Megan, that I'm with, and I started like getting, you know, hyper and hyperventilating. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is real. Here we go. One week to do seven marathons. I never doubted myself because I had the ability of all these kids on my shoulder and I had promised them. So she had this meltdown. I'm starting to cry and hyperventilate. And then this other lady who was the English lady lost it. So I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I got to tighten up here because I'm not here to win it. I'm here to finish it. Mm -hmm. So we started in Antarctica that, that next day. And as soon as we got finished, the last person came across the finish line, 26.2. Our bags were packed. They were ready for the plane. And we had to get on the plane because there was a storm coming. So we immediately, when we were done, so if you were fast, you were able to at least you know, dry off and get in other clothes. But those of us that were a little bit slower and got, we got in the, the thick of the storm before it really came on, um, we didn't get a chance to change. So we jumped on that Russian uh, cargo plane, flew back to Chile. Um, I don't even think I slept. I just kind of warmed up and you know, massaged my legs. And we were all, there was people that had the, you know, the, um, the leg wraps to, you know, compression your legs. I was wearing compression socks, rolling out in this plane. We land in Chile and immediately, uh, you know, an hour later, we're running 26.2 miles in Chile. Yeah. So then that's done. And I was able to clean off a little bit, not shower, but clean off. And we jumped on a private plane. Now, this plane would then take us to our final destination through the next six continents. So we, um, we had selected seats and, you know, we, we all snuggled into that plane and got ourselves familiar with our little uh, chairs at that time. And went and from Chile we went to United States to Miami where I had a huge crowd that came and surprised me. I knew my parents would be there, but my mini me was there. She had 
uh, someone from the University of Florida, uh, Catherine, who came in, so University of Florida, who I just adore and help out. They came and um, Catherine brought her bike for my little niece and my niece rode her bike beside me, just like when I trained, uh, she would ride her bike with me. Um, and we, each, each marathon was more or less big circles or big, you know, out and backs. Mm -hmm. That's how you did it. And every time I would come back, I would see my dad and he's like, how much longer? You know, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Now this is someone that has just run. I'm on my third marathon and my dad's yelling at me to hurry up. He knows all my girlfriends. He admires them all. And he's like, can you hurry up a little bit? Um, so it was great. And I had a friend um, at the time who was going to do it the following year, had brain tumor. He was from uh, the Austin area of Texas. And so he was there to film me, uh, to get film for his, he was going to do it the following year. Um, and Miami was great. It was uh, the best marathon. I enjoyed it because I missed my parents terribly. They had brought me a luggage and we swapped out luggage. Uh, I got an IV. My sponsor was there. It's just great. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we were finished, my dad's like, so can we go to dinner? And I'm like, dad, I'm out of here. I'm on the bus and we're back to, you know, the chart plane, you know? So he was disappointed, but it was, got some great footage and um, I got my fix uh, for my parents because I just missed them terribly. And I was scared. I was scared uh, deep down inside. So we took off from Miami and we went right to uh, Spain, which was my best uh, marathon, my fastest. In the reason why, it is uh, Spain was like my hometown, the big elm trees, hills, and uh, just beautiful. I felt, uh, I felt at ease. And it was probably because I was coming off a high with my parents and just mellowing out, you know, doing the yogini thing, you know, meditating. And I had my best run there and uh, had at each of these venues, I was doing news interviews uh, because of my cancer and my platform. They had set that up ahead of time. So after Spain, again, no shower. We, we did have a meal there. The food was stunning. And, uh, you know, I didn't sightsee or anything. So this is like, I've done these seven continents, but it wasn't any, um, you know, trip to be doing sightseeing. Um, so jumped in the plane and after Spain, we went to Africa. Africa was very interesting. It was hot. And to respect them, I did not wear like something I'm wearing today, which is a tank top running shirt. I covered myself up uh, to respect the country. Which city? Uh, which country? Uh, Marrakesh, in Morocco. Yeah, so we went from Spain to Africa. So um, it was interesting because a lady came out to talk to the race director, and we again we were just doing big circles. We were doing a circle around a park. It was like a mile and a half, and then we'd have our tent with the finish line, and you would have your food in there, and um, anyone that traveled with you would be designated there. So she came out and she said, the race director, I want to meet this USA girl and I want to run with her. Well, uh, when I came around a lap, here's a lady in a full barca, you know, uh, the only thing that we had in common were running shoes. So she uh, ran with me, spoke great English, well-educated, younger girl. And so she, she asked me all these questions and I asked her, I said, what do you look like? 
you know, this is all new to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just amazing, uh, you know, when you run, you want to sometimes talk to people and you find things fascinating, you get on a topic. It was just the best run I ever had where you emotional run talking to someone about the difference between a United States female runner, not competitive, but just a runner mm -hmm. and a lady that shouldn't be running and her body's fully covered. So it was just really uh, very you know, eye-opening to me. And, and then it got hot and I, I asked her about me taking off my shirt to a sports running bra. And now some of the other ladies did that. And uh, as soon as I did, the words were flying uh, from the men and she would, she would interpret them and they weren't good. And then there was a part of the course that we actually, you could run on the road and um, there was an Italian lady that I just fell in love with. She was great. And I was trying to beat her. And she almost got hit by one of the mopeds. Uh, she actually ended up falling. And then they tried to hit me. So it was all because of us, you know, undressing a little bit into our normal USA or Italian running uh, style. So that was neat. So right after Africa, we were able to uh, shower there. So I did get a shower there. Um, saw the camels. That was just so cool. So cool. So from there, um, so we're on number uh, one, two, three, four. So that was five. So our sixth destination was uh, Dubai. So I was excited because they call that like the gold city, you know, the Palm Island. And uh, I was excited. So when we landed, um, we went right to the race site. It was daytime. Uh, each of our marathons, except for Chile and the last one, were during the light of the day. Um, and it happened, Dubai was in the hottest time of the day. It was about 112 degrees. And mm. that was my slowest and worst marathon. I can run in heat, but that is Bikram yoga heat. Yes as you well know. And I love Bikram yoga. Um, that's what helps stretches me and runners should do that more. Um, it's something that I'm an avid about. But when you, you're not stretching and you're running, and then I have a brain tumor in my head that is just, you know, th thriving and just bouncing in there. I was a mess. So we all, all of us, all 20 of us, you know, took care of each other. The fastest person being a dear friend, Mike Wardian, he was handing me ice because he knows my situation. And when he was finished, he, he helped other runners out. We were all helping each other. Um, it was not competitive whatsoever. And um, again, that was the hottest absolutely beautiful we did an out and back along the beach and that's some place i would really like to go back and see but it was just beautiful but extremely hot so it was my slowest marathon um and the hottest and the toughest unlike everyone thought antarctica would be the worst because of the weather mm -hmm. so right after dubai we get in the plane because it's the longest trip now from dubai to sydney australia and our final destination mm -hmm. So on the plane, the, the race director um, says, Richard Donovan is his name. He says to all of us, you know, um, we need to vote. There is a man that did it last year. He's an entrepreneur and he would like to donate money to a female's uh, charity of choice and a male's charity of choice. But it is up to you participants only 
to vote on each other who has the best sportsmanship. So we're all voting, we're putting it in, and he said he would let us know after the finish in Australia, which is the final marathon. So I voted for my male and I voted for the female um, and put in my ticket, gave it to the race director, and that, that was that. So um, we had a long flight. Like I said, I slept a little bit. I was eating on the plane. I was taking my meds. Um, I was trying to contact home. That's hard because we didn't have internet. Uh, but again, Megan was doing all the social media. So she would check in with my parents. Like she kept everyone informed. It was very rare that I got on my phone at all. And we landed in Australia. We were running a little bit behind. We were supposed to land at 10 p.m. Um, we didn't land until a little bit later. Um, we got to the beach site there where we were running. It was beautiful. There was cliffs up um, up on the side of the beach and just just great area in Sydney. And we started running around midnight. But when we got to the race site, there was a gentleman there. And he was probably a little bit younger than me. And he came up and gave me a hug. And I was just like, okay, so it's so someone that either heard my story or they just wanted to see the USA chick, you know, uh, I'm cool. Um, he said, do you see that, that building up there? And he pointed on the cliff and it was a, a quite a large building. He says, that's the children's hospital in um, Sydney here. And I was like, oh, you know, I wish I had time to go see it, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, my child uh, had, had brain cancer, and that's where he died. Totally lost it. Totally lost it. And I'm thinking, I don't have anything to give him, uh, blah, blah, blah. He had been out there hours prior because he thought we were starting at 10. We didn't start till midnight, waiting for me. Um, he stayed through the night. And the big thing about my whole uh, run was we had started a campaign prior. New Balance do donated 13 pairs of shoes. I mean, 14, excuse me. So if you think about it, 14 pairs of shoes, every half marathon, I changed my shoes. And on the shoes, which you can find on the website, um, were decorated by a child with cancer. It didn't necessarily mean brain cancer, but they sent in via the internet a drawing. And that drawing then was taken and put on the sneakers by a dear friend of mine, I'm gonna cry when I say this, who's a firefighter and I trained with him here in Arlington. Uh, and he took those images and on the one side put the child's drawing on the one sneaker and the other side the country flag. So you have to remember, I have 14 pairs. Well, at the end of the seventh marathon, I left with 13 and a half shoes. And the reason being is I gave the gentleman that was there for his son and who thanked me for raising the money and awareness, the Australian flag shoe. I would not give him the child's shoe because that was for the child. And he took it. And lo and behold, that damn thing fit him. I couldn't believe uh, eight women fit him. But uh, so he took it. I walked off that course uh, shoeless on one side. And, uh, you know, it's the only thing I could give him other than my love in uh, agreement that I would do this until the day I died. And uh, came across the finish line. And the last couple of miles, you know, Megan came out with me and she would interview me. She's like, how do you feel? Just like what you're doing. Like, how was it? 
And I said, Megan, I just want to do another marathon. Just like when I was doing the Ironman and I was coming around and I could hear Mike Riley calling everyone an Ironman. I said to those guys on the motorcycle from ESPN, I said, another, another 10 miles. Come on, do it. They were so sick of me. They're like, no, we're done. You're going to get across that finish line and we're going for a beer. You know, so uh, I told Megan, I said, I, I just cannot believe it's done. I physically felt fine. The only thing that was wrong with me was my little toes were raw. Other than that, nothing. I lost 14 pounds, but, you know, I had tried to gain weight, you know, to have that to run and store. So came across the finish line and the race director gave me my award. And uh, each, each continent, you got a continent, a medal. And then you got the, you're part of the Guinness World Marathon uh, group. And then you got the World Marathon Challenge. So I, I came out like I was, you know, Michael Phelps with all those gold medals. I have a great picture of that. But he said, Bethany, I also have to give you this uh, check here for your foundation because you were nominated by your peers uh, as the woman that would, had the best sportsmanship. And uh, so I took away, you know, that money. And uh, I knew that that was something my father instilled in me. And that was respect for other people and the respect of what Winston Churchill says is never, never, never give up. And you can't give up on yourself and you shouldn't give up on others. So I had won that. And I think that was the best takeaway other than the amazing people that I met on the journey. And I'm proud to tell you that I beat Ryan Hall on the uh, Sydney marathon and ryan hall is a record holder i uh, you know a gold medalist at the olympics and um i beat him and so i will use that against him that was his last marathon that he would ever run he said and uh i was so proud of myself that i beat him <laughs> i hold that against him i've i've seen ryan hall uh, i follow him on social Isn't, media and he's yeah like up and he's like a he's like he's a different person now yeah, that's someone, uh, again, that's someone I could put you in contact with. He's great. And, you know, he coaches his wife. His wife is doing great running. Um, they're, they're out west right now training. So, yeah, he, he started that whole thing then. He, um, he really just was done with running, and he wanted to move on, and he's helping people. To, you know, he's gaining weight and he is just very strong. What a great person. Great person. He's... Um, you know, adopted several girls who are running with, you know, his wife now and such a great story with him. Yeah. Huge. huge. And uh, you, uh, you also ran with the US, uh, the American flag in all these continents, right? I am huge on America. I love this country. I, if I had to go back, I would serve in the military. military. Of course, it would be the Marines. Um, I would serve, I have high respect. My partner is an Air Force, uh, you know, veteran. And uh, I just love the military. And it was something that I was given the USA flag that, that flew over the United States Capitol. And I took that on the seven marathons. I did, you know, there was a couple times I was feeling, you know, after the marathon, I was like, Woof! and the flag would hit. And of course I got hit with people saying, you put the flag on the ground. No disrespect at all. I didn't mean it. Um, but each time I came across the finish line, I held that high and proud because I was the second USA female 
but again in my heart it was for you know those people i i adore the veterans and those people that serve our country yeah beautiful and um uh and you've gone on to create this foundation right this uh, uh pediatric cancer uh, foundation for for which you are raising funds and you raised a million dollars already that's uh, that's such a phenomenal effort from your side i mean one is you're an inspiration uh, unstoppable human being and on the other hand you're also doing extending this to the community and um, so really uh, hats off you want to say yeah, something like that i mean like i told you i was like so upset and then when dr brem said about these children and the statistics are someone like you or myself anyone over the age of 19 till the death gets about 41 42% of funding from the national institute of health for research for cancer now a child under the age of 19 only gets 4.1% now why is there a huge difference there why is that so huge these kids are our future this is something i wasn't you know didn't have the ability to have um you know you and i we went to the prom we you know went across country we did got speeding tickets at least i did um able to run a marathon some of these kids will never have that ability so that started my platform now i started team bt which is team if you think about it team you know beth ann telford but it more or less for all these people was team brain tumors or my cousin who actually died of a brain tumor he his last name was borland so we always said team borland telford um and he was a young kid he was going to juilliard for music died in 3 days from a brain tumor and so it is genetic people say it's not but it um you know it is it falls on the father side um but i always fought for this you know foundation either accelerate brain cancer cure which unfortunately closed its doors december of last year um because they are that was started by jean and steve case who founded aol and they decided they they wanted to um pursue the entre- entrepreneur side of it a little bit more and uh steve's brother died of brain cancer and they just felt like they fully um even though they didn't find a cure really did the best that they could so they closed their doors so i've been um and i had been with abc square working with the university of florida which i had mentioned earlier and they have great great doctors who came from duke down there one being well known is dwayne mitchell and dwayne i can tell you and i will i've said it the last several years that is the man that's going to find the cure for pediatric brain cancer i really do and his team is just great i um, adore them um the preston wills foundation down there and came very close with um a, a lady that is a research down there that she just gets great grants her name is uh catherine flores and i just adore her in all the people down there so i've been working closely with them i probably will focus more i mean it's just been a couple months since abc closed um i've been doing stuff with the national brain tumor society so any money that i'm given no matter if it's a check or cash never goes into my account i just don't feel comfortable about that it always goes towards abc squared uh university of florida or national brain tumor society so i i do that 
But, um, you know, it's not all about running. I, um, I'm a certified yoga instructor. I do cross train a lot, which is important. And I'm a full-time federal employee. So I got a full plate and a great aunt, I have to say. <laughs> totally. Terrific. Hey, uh, that was a great conversation. We covered a wide um, uh, swath. I would have loved to also talk about Ironman, but I think we'll, we'll need to probably bring you back again. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, you're Iron Woman. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, um, anything before we wrap up? Any, uh, you know, closing comments from your side? Yeah, you know, um, you don't have to be the fastest person out there or the strongest person. I believe, and, and this is to the day uh, back when I was a kid, you know, if it's in your heart and you feel so strongly about it, you're going to pursue that dream or that goal and you're going to finish it. Now, I um, have been lucky to, you know, have, the ability to do what I'm doing. Um, there's so many people that can't physically, but that doesn't mean you can't get out and walk. You can't get out and walk the mall. We were talking earlier about, you know, you get up and it's hot out, so I'm not going to rain. Well, race day or the day of your big event or your final day, you're not going to be able to say, oh, you know, it's going to be sunny. It's going to be overcast or it's going to be raining. Race day is up in the air or your final day, or the day you get on stage, you just don't know who's going to be there, what your circumstances around you are. So you have to have that mindset that, look, I got to start somewhere. And if that's like getting off the couch, getting out of the refrigerator, uh, getting you know, out of bed because of depression or mental issues, I've, all, I've been at all of those avenues. You have to have that mindset. It has to be in your heart and surround yourself with good people that encourage you to do the things and challenge you, I think is so important in life. And also give yourself some breaks. Every now and again, it's okay to say, well, this morning, it's just not happening. But don't make the next day the same thing because I didn't work out yesterday. Okay, I'm not going to do it today or I'm not going to get up and walk the mall or walk to get the mail and take an extra couple steps. It's so important to keep active and keep going and to be encouraging instead of discouraging because that's not helpful in life. And especially right now with everything that's going on with COVID, I think we're all, you know, clammed up and everyone's finding different ways to work out these zoom meetings and virtual health clubs. I think we're in this new norm and, um, you know, you just have to fight through it and work with it and do the best you can in life. And if you're happy with yourself and you know in your heart you, you met your goals and desires, then you should be happy. Yeah, great, great message. Hey, uh, Betan, uh, thanks a lot. Do you go by Betty or Betan? Which, which? Uh, it depends. When my parents are upset, Bethann and uh, my friends, Beth or BT. Um, so, you know, any of the above. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot for being on the show. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, I think uh, great. Uh, you're a great inspiration. Keep at it, and uh, we're gonna be following you for your next big adventure. And great. Have a great weekend. Yep, and let's stay in touch. And if anyone wants to reach out, I'm I'm available. Absolutely, sure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.